Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that, much like the coronavirus, is being found much easier to deal with if you've had a lot of cheap drugs. I'm Tin and Yeb, and the UK is now at coronavirus alert level three, which means it's finally safe to scrap all those lockdown restrictions that were already lifted weeks and weeks ago. When, oh, when, oh, when will the pubs be open again, chants the entire country, because ofs all that really matters to us Brits is where we can spend money killing our bodies before the coronavirus even gets a chance. Well, by the time you hear this, there's every chance the Prime Minister and lumped together weather-beaten sheets will torn off a barbed wire fence. Boris Johnson will announce that the two-metre social distancing rule will be relaxed, after pressure from Conservative backbenchers who are finding it too hard to bully staff at such a distance without someone noticing. When asked over the weekend if the policy would be changing, particularly for schools, Johnson simply said, watch this space, which many have taken to mean that there'll be more coming. But I suspect that is his entire new policy and absolutely nothing else. Shielding, which was so-called because by vulnerable people taking responsibility for their own health, it protected the government from pretending they had to care. That will stop in England on August the 1st, which should give everyone who's been stuck indoors since March at least 24 hours before they have to go shield again to escape the 7,005th wave. And all of this should mean that pubs can reopen, but only if you order your drinks on an app, meaning that Sam Smith's pubs will have to survive on a swear box that they can fill when customers realise the stupid rules mean that they can't even get a pint. Hopefully the pub drinks apps will be more successful than the Track and Trace NHS app, which ultimately has ended up also being made just to piss money away. £11 million of government cash was spent on developing an app that doesn't work and has now been scrapped and honestly I'm starting to wish I'd also bid on that contract as I'm brilliant at not getting stuff done too and I could be a millionaire just for sitting round in my pants. Just months ago, Health Secretary Matt Hancock, the sort of person who buys all the now-that's-what-I-call-music compilations in order to be down with the kids, was saying that there was a lot of enthusiasm for this app, though that may have just been from the people given £11 million to pretend they can make it. After a short trial on the Isle of Wight proved unsuccessful, probably on account of the amount of residents there who still think mobiles are some sort of witchcraft, it was also followed by so, so many delays, and then Hancock announced on the 17th that the app might, just might, be available by winter. A clever plan, as by then, when we're on that 7,004th wave, it'll be easy to trace someone with symptoms contacts, as they'll just be on an adjacent ward. And then on the 18th of June, the big news. Nope, the NHS app has been scrapped and instead the government will be working closely with Google and Apple to make a different one. But Apple said they've not had any contact with the government about this, which is a great promise for a contact tracing app if the people in charge of it can't even be bothered to get in touch with the people supposedly making it. I do often wonder if the Conservatives are so bad at track and trace because their social networks are so small and they're only ever in contact with the same handful of lobbyists and billionaires that they can't fathom someone having a friendship circle that didn't spring from private school wet toweling or how you might get in touch with someone that doesn't have a butler. An app that works with the Google and Apple contact tracing tool has always been preferred by many experts, but it was rejected by the government back in early May as they thought they could do their own better version. I mean, why would you think the two of the world's biggest tech giants would be any sort of match for the same people who brought you the Matt Hancock MP app or the Conservative Conference app, both of which had more security breaches than any meeting boring hippocampus Gavin Williamson sat in when he was Defence Secretary? 
When asked why Hancock ignored the Google and Apple model of track and trace, he said that actually they'd been building that version as well, as he'd always had two horses in the race. Yet again, a horse racing analogy from Matt Hancock, a man that seems to think that hedging your bets is just putting money on an option that would charge face first into a thicket and then keel over. NHS X, who are responsible for the health services digital practice, have said for weeks that they had no interest in pursuing the Apple-Google model. So is Hancock telling porkies? Or by working with the Apple and Google Model 2, did he simply mean that he spent some time using his iPhone to search for how on earth to actually make an app that works? Maybe we should be asking if Matt Hancock has some similarities to Finding Dory other than a gormless aquatic face. Are there short-term memory loss issues happening here? It certainly explained why later in the week footage from Parliament showed him walking across parliamentary social distancing boundaries to greet a colleague by slapping him on the back, breaching all recommended rules. Either he's forgotten his own guidelines again, or from the beginning he's always thought the M in 2M stands for millionaires and so it's fine to be near Conservative MPs who've got a lot more in that in the bank. Are memory loss issues why he referred to the footballer who got the government to U-turn on free school meals over the summer, Marcus Rashford, as Daniel Rashford on BBC News? Or was it just that Matt Hancock remembered weeks before saying that footballers had to play their part and couldn't stomach one actually managing to do more for kids in poverty than his government ever had? I mean, how do you move the goalposts or dish out unfair penalties against someone who knows how to tackle them properly? Matt Hancock did say he was proud of Daniel Rashford, though, which is an odd sentiment to say about someone who stopped his party from letting kids starve. But then maybe he forgot yet again it was his government's unapologetic choice in the first place, and ever since he found out it was going on, was just waiting for someone to intervene. At least Matt Hancock acknowledged that he knew something had happened, whereas Boris Johnson said he'd only heard of Rashford's campaign on the day he changed the policy, which, if it was true, meant that the day before he'd not watched or read any news, nor been in charge of any of the Downing Street statements saying the school meal voucher scheme would end in summer, despite Rashford's campaign. But is it so hard to imagine that that isn't the case? I mean, there's every chance he had no idea of anything. There's every chance he spent several days eating Doritos in his pants, listening to the baby cry in another room and wishing someone would deal with it, while he watched repeats of darkest hour while playing with himself. Of course, according to an interview with Boris Johnson, he says he's a hands-on dad, which sounds very much like a euphemism for a sex pest. He also says he's changed a lot of nappies, but he didn't specify if that was for his son or himself, though either way it's likely he didn't do it properly, there'd be loads of leaks from the inside and he'd leave all unnecessary shit mess for someone else to deal with. Collective amnesia does feel like a kind of way to explain all these things that the government are doing, because the only other explanation is that we have a bunch of people in charge that could be replaced by dented traffic cones, and they do a far better job. How else to look at the Prime Minister announcing that he's going to spend nearly a million pounds repainting the Premier plane, red, white and blue, instead of its current grey, just seconds after the news came that the UK's debt is now larger than the size of the whole economy? If he's aware of the state the country's in, well then that plain paint job seems like a waste of money and nothing more than a pointless jingoistic ego boost. But then I suppose it would be very easy for enemies to spot in dangerous air zones and maybe the plan is if his plane was shot down, Johnson's life insurance might help the economy more than anything he's doing while actually in the job. The REF say that they won't be able to use the plane if it's painted in those colours, so I suppose we should applaud Johnson actively destroying weapons of war. If we can persuade him to repaint all tanks and missiles red, white and blue too, then we can become a peaceful nation within weeks. Either that or when he sells them all off to the Saudis at half the price, at least it'll look like we're claiming some sort of accountability for the war in Yemen. Johnson does need some sort of new transport though as his convoy was involved in a collision near Parliament as a protester ran towards the cars. The PM's jag got dented but he remained unharmed because we all know that if there's any sort of depression coming he'll somehow be unscathed and the public will bear the brunt of the cost. There have been accusations made by the independent SAGE group that the government had played down the overall deaths during the coronavirus peak and that actually there were 22 consecutive days where over 1,000 people died. But of course, the daily briefings would have had to include care home deaths, which Boris Johnson probably still isn't even aware of as any caring home he's been part of is usually left to get with someone younger. A legal bid has also been made against the government's inaction to safeguard BAME people from coronavirus, but again it's ignoring that it could just be that Johnson and his cabinet simply couldn't remember that black people existed, otherwise they might have had some in their top team. I mean, if they did remember and were aware of the disproportionate effect of COVID on BAME people, wouldn't have they appointed anyone in the world at all, ever, other than Manira Mertzer to head up their racial equality commission? Mertzer is a woman who looks like she's always just about to tell you all the philanthropy she's done before showing you her blood diamonds, and also someone who doesn't believe that systematic racism exists. Maybe it'll result with her having some incredible revelation like those TV shows where they make a racist wear a burqa for a day, as that's just easier for production companies to comprehend than actually giving a presenting job to someone who's not white. 
Or more likely, the Conservatives will say the commissioners found that racial inequality isn't a thing, so it must be because they fixed it all. I can't imagine how horrific it must be for black people to be campaigning that their lives matter, while the government thinks the best way to fix it is to gaslight them that anyone ever thought otherwise, while by making their concerns invisible, they make it all much worse. Again, you do have to wonder if it is sheer maliciousness or stupidity and an inability not to just put the very worst person in the role, as though their privilege is all they need to do it. I mean, take the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab, a man who looks like a supermarket has tried to package tripe in a pair of overstretched tights. And him saying that he thought the protest of taking the knee was an act of subjugation from Game of Thrones, as though all these Black Lives Matter campaigners have said to each other that the best way to protest for equal rights is to emulate a moment in a show where the only black people in it got to capture. Is that Raab purposefully demeaning an entire movement because he can't understand the idea of equality? Or is it that he, this man who didn't even know the UK is an island, is so unaware of the world that during his time at Foreign Secretary, he's likely been trying to set up a meeting for the ambassador to Westeros and can't work out why he doesn't get a reply? Again and again, the only reason he seems to have a job is because he's terrible at it. The same way there's been talk again this week of the Minister for the Hills Have Eyes, Chris Grayling, being made a chair of the Intelligence Committee, despite the fact that he's not even good enough to be something that others sit on. He's the sort of man that would fuck up opening a swing door or would injure himself with safety scissors. And yet here he is after £2.7 billion of blunders of his time in Cabinet, Grayling is being discussed for the role he'd be least suited to, like hiring an albatross for the Secretary of Safe Boat Travel. Meanwhile, disgraced MP Liam the Disgraced Fox is also back in the picture to be British candidate to lead the World Trade Organisation, which is perfect for a man who called it by the wrong name just last year. Liam Fox there, the man that said a no deal was survivable, putting it in the same ballpark as a stroke. It could be that I'm being overly cynical, and actually, what could be a safer bet than a man who's breached ministerial code twice, failed on all his promises and jeopardised national security? Because I guess, when you look at a CV like that, if you're at the actual rock bottom of ability, maybe he can only do better from here on in. Still, if he gets the job, it will be great fun watching the UK somehow get even worse WTO regulations than normal due to Liam Fox putting all the wrong acronyms on the official papers. Speaking of trade regulations, Boris Johnson announced the opening of trade talks with Australia by waving a packet of chocolate biscuits around like it was a QVC pitch where he'd been told he had to flog something quickly before everyone discovered it was flammable. Apparently the deal will get as cheap Vegemite and Tim Tams, while Australia will get, uh, British-made boomerangs. You know, to replace the failing financial sector car and food exports that we won't have anymore. I'm sure it'll be adequate. I'm sure. It's also worth pointing out that the UK doesn't need a free trade agreement with Australia just to lower the tariff price on biscuits. We can just lower them ourselves anyway. And by getting a lower tariff on Tim Tams, it could just hurt British biscuit makers like Mavitis, who make penguins, all of which make Johnson's pitch wafer thin. Still, though, this is again what it's all about, isn't it? Cheap biscuits and exporting boomerangs. It feels deeply unsurprising that the Prime Minister is considering a deal that's just a fraction of our one with the EU, just to focus on taking the biscuit and throwing things that he doesn't have the foresight to see they'll immediately come back to get him. In fact, there's every chance to just forget about it all, only becoming aware as it hits him between the eyes. They do say ignorance is bliss, don't they? And I guess as the UK heads towards the worst of recessions with the highest coronavirus fatalities, it's really fucking annoying that the Prime Minister's having a great time being completely oblivious. In other news, but not really, health minister in the only nice photo they could find of that woman who died being certain cars would just stop for her to cross the motorway, Helen Watley, has said that student nurses are not deemed to be providing a service after after 30,000 of them who were deployed to help tackle COVID-19 have been told their contracts will end earlier than promised, leaving them in financial difficulties. Thing is, coming from Helen Watley, being told that you're not deemed to provide a service could be seen as a compliment, as she's never been deemed as able to provide anything other than awkward interviews that always look like she's about to melt into herself. The Department for International Development is going to be absorbed into the Foreign Office because why would we give foreign aid when our current health and financial situation means it'll be other countries having to do tokenistic fundraisers for us by the end of the year. Spain will be allowing UK tourists in without a quarantine, even though considering the majority of Brits that go there, that was a bad idea even pre-pandemic. A horrific terrorist attack in a park in Reading has left three people dead, and the Home Secretary and human shoulder pad, Pretty Patel, has said that the threat from lone actors is growing, which should really be another reason for them to support the theatre industry and give them something else to do. 
The Labour Party have released a review into their 2019 election defeat, which looks like a one-star but reads like a two. It's called the Labour Together Project, which I think is ironic, like how little John wasn't and never ever would be. The review states that Labour has amounted to climb to regain seats and that a new leader is not enough. No, and especially not one who looks like if Sin City was based in a marketing firm and would look at a mountain and announce that it's not for him to say whether or not it should be climbed, but he will acknowledge that some people who have seen the mountain and appreciate that it's there. UKIP have a new leader for the sixth billionth time this year, who looks like a perfect casting call for a paedophile and an ITV primetime drama. Freddie Vatcher stood in front of the Churchill statue and said it's time for UKIP to get back to business, because he's read the room and it turns out the non-essential service people have been needing this pandemic is for even more useless racists in the political scene. I'm only joking, I don't think he can read. Vatcher said he doesn't care if people criticise him, so I hope he's enjoying this, before then locking his Twitter account so absolutely no one can see his posts. Apparently the other parties should be quaking at his appointment and the comeback of UKIP, but I guess quaking is what people do when they properly can't stop belly laughing. Speaking of people who single-handedly prove that white people aren't superior in any way whatsoever, heat-wilted venom sack Katie Hopkins has had her account kicked off Twitter, and I have to take it back as for once I agree with her, laughing at people's misfortune can be very, very funny, especially when it's hers. On the same theme, an old leather purse left on the motorway, Nigel Farage, travelled to Tulsa to attend a rally for US President and the film The Fly, but if a bag of fluorescent paint and a haggis got into the machine instead, Donald Trump. The rally was poorly attended as brilliant TikTok and K-pop fans booked up all the tickets to troll him, meaning that he mostly shouted to an empty car park full of people, mostly not wearing face masks during a pandemic. Trump blamed the low turnout on protesters interfering with supporters, which is a lot like saying, you don't know my supporters, they go to another school. Several of Trump's advanced team were tested positive for coronavirus before the rally even began, because trust his staff that the only thing they can schedule is a virus. Farage was allowed to travel to the US as it was apparently in the country's national interest. Well, I mean, it was definitely in the UK's, as I can't think of anything better for us than sending him as far away as possible straight into a COVID hotbed. Fingers crossed. And lastly, Facebook have added new regulations allowing users the option to turn off political adverts, despite knowing full well that most people can't even be bothered to untag themselves from a wish post about toe-straightening anal beads, so it's very likely nothing will change. Uh, yeah, Parpol Bro Crew, how are you? I am so full of hay for you. You can probably hear, I'm just like blocked up. Uh, I've, when I was reading that intro, I could hear little whistles within my own nose. I'm not going to lie, this week has been very difficult to write and record. I have no idea how pollen has levelled up, uh, to use the government phrase, uh, this much this year. I swear crop growers have replaced pesticides with whatever it was that caused the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I am antihistamine up to my eyeballs with nasal spray that feels like I'm launching wasabi straight up my nostrils, although that probably would work better. And still, still, I'm more blocked than a pre-pandemic M25 on a front. Friday night. Look, I love nature. I do. I love it. I bloody love that nature. But planches can absolutely do one. I had a kid, right? And I didn't need to make a lot of people's eyes water in order to do it. Um, just one person's. Oh, that's a terrible joke. Look, anyway, look, I mean, if I did make other people's eyes water, that's not my responsibility. And really, they shouldn't have been watching. That is grim. So, look, um, I'll keep this bit and this middle bit brief this week because I am having a hard time editing out all the sniffs and desperate deep breath inhales as my brain runs out of... See? See? I can't even finish that sentence. As my brain runs out of oxygen every single time I try to finish a sentence and then my nose takes over. Ah, uh, it's one of those tiny violin days as i know awful thing in the news is popping up after awful thing but i am mostly spending today shouting at grass that if i could just have one nostril that works i'd be over the fucking moon still it does mean i'm staying indoors which is probably for the best i mean seriously how has pollen given a clearer lockdown message than the government yes i've said that joke on here before but it's relevant again uh, my brain is all blocked uh, with the snots so you can forgive me anyway i very much hope you're pollen free and thank you once again for tuning into this drivel big big thank you this week to Andrew, who wrote the nicest review on Stitcher about the show and totally cheered me up last week, uh, really appreciated. It's so nice to know that this isn't just shouting into the endless void sometimes, and some of you actually like it. Um, if you haven't and you do have time just to hit the big old five-star button on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or one of them, please do. And big, big thank you also to a number of you who have reviewed uh, this show on the podcast apps in other countries, and I've only just worked out how to see them. I've said that before, but I thought I'd worked out how to see them, and it turns out there were loads more that I hadn't seen. So, look... 
I very much appreciate it. And I'm sure it'll be one of the things that goes post-Brexit. And I'll only be able to see anything that's been, I don't know, post up in the Faroe Islands or something. So I'll appreciate it for now. Um, huge thank you as well to Luke for joining the Patreon and Tar for your lovely message too. And also to Anon, Jenny, Ruby, Somebody, Farron, Peter, Maidley, TDH, Helen, Jackie, Kevin, Baldy, Roz, Yossarian, John and Liz, who've all very kindly donated to the Kofi this week, which is so very appreciated. In yet another week where it looks like the comedy industry won't be crawling back until next year. Um, I wrote a very miserable article about it on Medium and lots of people liked it. Uh, but one person was sad with me that it wasn't funny because that's how the internet works, isn't it? Uh, just because an article's about the comedy industry doesn't mean that it has to be funny, uh, much like any of the reviews of my Edinburgh Fringe shows ever. Anyway, um, I'll pop a link uh, to the article in the pod blurb and should you wish to join the Patreon, it's at patreon.com forward slash parpolbro and the Kofi is at ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro with all them links in the pod blurb. Apparently, my wife told my daughter, sorry, agent the other day, uh, that I was upstairs working on the podcast and she immediately said, donate to the Kofi, donate to the Patreon. Uh, so all I'm saying is that I should be on Britain's Best Parent Show right away. Um, that show is so awful. I don't know if you've watched it. I watched it going, that is the worst show I've ever seen. And at the same time going, I would nail this. I am definitely a better dad. Uh, terrible, terrible things. Please. What do you say? You always say, please donate. To the Kofi. And please donate. Is that it? Yeah. You know the other bit. You're very good at it. Donate to the Kofi. And donate to the... Patreon. That is very good. Right, couple of quick bits. Uh, don't forget, on Thursday, I'll be doing a live podcast for 30 minutes or so on Ramble FM. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to be doing yet. Probably, judging by today, just sniffling and moaning about it. Um, but hopefully, um, I'll be doing some actually fun things. Uh, I'm going to post about it loads on all the social medias, and I've popped the link to it in the podcast blurb for this week's show, too. But basically, 8pm on Thursday, you'll be able to call in and have a chat with me about anything, preferably politics or comedy things. But really, I'd be happy to chat about anything podcast-related at all. I'm actually probably just going to be very grateful to talk to another grown-up other than my wife, um, so please, please do drop by. Uh, also, I'm on a very non-politics podcast this week called Mum and Mama, hosted by the brilliant Amy and Harry, and it's all about, as you can probably guess, uh, parenting. Do check it out. Amy and Harry are properly brilliant hosts, and it is really, really good fun. Right, <clears throat> on this week's show, I've got previous podcast, Maurice McLeod, who kindly dropped me a line after I used a clip of his interview from four years ago on the Black Lives Matter episode um, a couple of weeks back. It was very, very lovely to chat to him again, so please, please do have a listen. Plus, there are a few very sniffly bits on the Track and Trace app that is now deaded, and in between all that, I'll be going outside to tell any tree I see to fucking do one. <laughs> You might remember the episode a couple of weeks ago where concerned that many of the brilliant black commentators, writers and experts that I know of might be too exhausted to speak to yet another white person asking, but why are black people all sad again? Only to then have to go through the same never-changing reasons that have been there for the last forevers. Instead, I put some clips of old interviews I've done on the show, which were either about systematic racism or systematic racism came up as part of it. And they were also only a fraction of the times that the latter happened in all the chats I've done over four years of this podcast. But I thought it was unfair to have a podcast that was six hours long, so I was very selective. Since the Big Black Lives Matter peaceful marches over two weeks ago, it's both clearly had an impact and highlighted exactly why they were needed here in the UK so very much, as well as the US. Sure, every single company that's ever existed tweeted that they support the Black Lives Matter movement, but many times underneath it, lots of their former staff had replied about the racism they'd had while working with them. Sure, lots of statues glorifying slave traders had been removed in a long overdue action, but the news and politicians were instead focused on how that means protesters were erasing history, while ignoring that by not teaching what just what utter shitheads those slave traders were, the problem is very much the history that's already been erased in order to make British history seem heroic instead of aggressively racist. Sure, the government is setting up a racial equality commission, but at the same time it's been three years since Grenfell and many of the victims still haven't been rehoused, many affected by the Windrush scandal in this week, the 72nd anniversary of the Windrush generation coming over, they're still suffering from implications of the hostile environment policy and have never been apologised to. The full report into coronavirus disproportionate effect on BAME people still hasn't been fully published to show the extent of it, and the woman chairing up the new committee still says systematic racism doesn't exist. Great perfect choice to head that up then, Boris. Who will you have in charge of the Searching for Extraterrestrial Life Committee? Dana fucking Scully? Anyway, after that episode went out, former podcast of about four years ago, Maurice McLeod, uh, dropped me a lovely DM saying that if he could bear talking to Nick Ferrari and Julia Hartley Brewer about race, he's sure he can cope with talking to me about it, which I think was a compliment. <laughs> 
I think. So I got in touch with him straight away and promised not to ask him any Hartley Brewer style questions about, I don't know, pissing beside statues rather than on them or something like that. Maurice is a journalist, councillor and vice chair of the Race on the Agenda campaign group. And I asked him all about how he's feeling a few weeks on from the first of this year's Black Lives Matter protests. If anything's changed since the last time we spoke and why the Racial Equality Committee and the Department of International Development being merged with the Foreign Office are all signs that the government doesn't care all that much at all. Oh, and two very quick things. Um, one, uh, we spoke over Zoom, hence my comment about seeing Maurice's facial expression at one point. I've done quite a few Zoom interviews now over the past few weeks, and it means I can actually see people while talking to them, which I think makes the chat a lot more fluid and conversational, if, even if, even if, unfortunately for them, they have to see my face. Um, and two, uh, my comments on the comedy sector getting better, um, probably have quite a few people disagree. This week's been uh, terrible for things about the comedy sector, especially about sexual harassment, among other things. Um, but... People would be right to disagree about equality on the comedy sector. I could just say personally, I've definitely been on a lot fewer all-white male bills in the last two years than probably ever before, which is brilliant and noticeable. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been on even fewer since the pandemic, but that's because there aren't any comedy shows at all, so not really sure it counts. Anyway, it's very lovely to get Maurice back on the show, and I do hope you enjoy. Here he is. Hi, Maurice. Um, it is lovely to have you back on the podcast. Sorry, it's taken quite so long. It was about four years ago uh, that I spoke to you, um, but you very kindly, I, I included clips of you on the episode about the Black Lives Matter protests that I did a couple of weeks ago um, because I was worried that other people were quite exhausted about having the conversation. Um, and you very kindly DM'd me and said it was your job to have conversations others are tired of and that you have to have these conversations with people like Nick Ferrari and Julia Hartley Brewer, so <laughs> I might be all right. <laughs> So, um, so, I mean, firstly, I wanted to ask how on earth you managed to, to have those conversations with those people. Well, I mean, it's, it's, when you say it like that, I, I am sitting here thinking, yeah, why do I do that? But, <laughs> I, kind of like, I, I kind of feel like um, somebody somebody has to, if they're, you know, when they're doing these shows that are listened to people, listened to by, you know, they've got an audience. Um, if nobody goes on and discusses tries to discuss the, the, the topic that they're talking about from hopefully a, a, a relatively progressive standpoint, you kind of, you just end up with this weird sort of uh, self-feeding bile of, of whatever. So I'm trying to break into that maybe. And, and, and uh, even though it can be tough and they mute you and they talk over you, um, it's, uh, I think someone has to go into that space. We can't just talk to the people that already agree with us because as great as it is and as lovely it is, you know, to get likes and to feel very, you know, to feel like you've got a million people behind you, um, you're not really changing anyone's mind. So so I, I, someone has to, and I try to go on, you know, I write for The Spectator, I, I go on to talk radio, I've been on The Mail's podcast, all these sorts of places that wouldn't normally be that welcoming to me. I mean, I absolutely applaud it. And I think you're incredibly brave for doing it. I just also can't fathom ever wanting to talk to uh, either of those people about anything. Um, but it's, it's very fair. I mean, but is it, I mean, are you feeling exhausted? Because I'm, I'm very aware of, of Reniado Lodge's book. I mean, even just the title before we get into the content of why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. And it is something I was very aware of a couple of weeks ago in, in I think that particularly exhausting week following George Floyd's murder Um and I just sort of thought any kind of uh, black friends, commentators, writers that I contact must just be having this conversation 40 times a day or not wanting to. Is it, is it knackering? It must be. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't lie to you. And it, it was, um, it, it is knackering. I'm not going to say it was, um, but I feel as if I'm kind of having these conversations a lot anyway, but most of the time people are like, oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh, blah, blah. Yeah, history, move on, move on. And there was this window when, for whatever horrible number of reasons coming together, meant that people were kind of listening. Um, and so as much as it was tiring, as much as it was like, you know, I, I must have done 15 media appearances um, in a week. And, and this isn't my job, you know, this is just things that I'm squeezing in and doing in the evenings and nipping out. And, you know, it, it, it is tiring, especially when the, the conversation Oh, the conversation again and again and again is about statues or songs sung at rugby or, or you know, um, what's the name of this street or that building? And, and we're kind of kind of going, can we can we get on to the structural stuff? Can we get on to the actual conversation? Um, but but yes, I, I like I say, I do, I do think it's uh, I do. I did find it tiring. But if you 
if I call myself an anti-racism activist and we have this sort of weird moment, uh, this civil rights moment, I'd almost say, you know, equivalent to what happened in the 60s uh, in America, if we have this moment globally and I say I'm too tired to, to talk about it, then when when will I be energised, then, is the question. Sure. I mean, and, and that's something you mentioned that I... It feels like these protests are making a bigger impact than possibly ever before. I mean, as I said, we spoke four years ago. And that was just after there were Black Lives Matter protests. I think, was that the, the first round or the first time that that hashtag appeared and it became a, a movement was, was 2015, 2016? I, 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 think, um, I think it was after the Ferguson uh, yeah. uh, uprisings that we spoke, which was um, when the officers who were involved in the killing of Michael Brown mm. were... Uh, were, were told that they had no case to answer then, and sort of Ferguson was, was on fire. I think it was not long after that. Uh, I, I'm not sure, though, to be honest. As, as you say, sadly, there have been loads of these moments. You know, if we, you know, I, 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 you know, you can, I can remember the names, I can remember the incidents, but, you know, um, it wasn't another watershed. It was just, OK, right, got this thing's happened and now it's gone away and we're talking about Love Island. So, so you know, I'm I'm hopeful, and, and as you say, there is a there is a different feel this time. Um, I've been doing I've been holding demonstrations on uh, local ones in Tutin, uh, just on a common, and, and the first week we expected maybe eighty people, and we had a thousand. Um, oh my goodness, that's absolutely, amazing! Absolutely incredible, um, um, and that's happened two weeks in a row um, now, and and it's people that um, obviously people that have been involved and, and have been saying this stuff for a long time, but also people that. I've kind of been on the sidelines a bit and kind of going, yeah, obviously I'm not racist, but I don't really understand. And, uh, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm just living my life. Maybe COVID, maybe the, the sort of enforced lockdown and self-reflection that we've had for for these months. As, as I, I don't know why it's different. I mean, maybe the, the video of George Floyd was particularly horrible, but and it was, but I've seen lots of horrible videos over the years. Um, they haven't had the impact that, that this one has had. Um, I, I, as you can hear, I'm, I'm in two minds. Yeah. I don't know whether to believe that things are changing or to go, oh, yeah, seen it all before. I'm being wrestled. The cynic and the optimist in me are battling. Well, it's one of those things where, where I feel, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that have made statements about we're going to try and do better. And, and as much as I do worry that they're sort of tokenistic gestures or, you know, you sort of think, well, why haven't you done it before now then? But the the extent to which they've been doing it and then as much as the statue debate, as you mentioned, is, is just uh, just ridiculous. <laughs> but but the fact that they're going and the fact that statues are finally going and, and people have been protesting for many years, like that must feel quite good that actually some of these things are changing, even if it's taken a obscene amount of time to do it uh, absolutely and so so um you know i think it's as much as i said oh you know statues and, and songs and whatever the fact that people are even talking mm. about this stuff seriously um you know for, for 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 lloyd's to be talking about reparations i mean uh, you know um even saying the word reparations would have been so ridiculous just um you know not very long ago so so the conversation's moved and that's brilliant i just I'm just really worried about us getting stuck in the symbols bit, stuck in the bit that's about, you know, the songs and and, and, the, and the statues. Yes, they're, they're, they are symbols and symbols matter, but they're only symbols. You know, underneath that is why does this matter? If if there were, if there was racial justice, if there was equality, oh my God, have all the statues you want. Dress, you know, wear blackface, do, do what you want. None of it would matter because we'd, uh, you know, there wouldn't be the systematic things still going on. It's, it's, it's this bit, I think, that gets lost from the conversation often when people go, oh, you know, I didn't like, um, uh, you know, there's a, pr- a statue of, of Prince Johnny Prince whatever and he kills Scots and I'm Scottish and that's, that, you know, I'm not making a fuss. Well, okay, but is your is that still having an impact on your life today, yes or no? Or is it just some, you know, some historical... Uh, so so I, I think sometimes that there's a, a, um, there's a difficulty explaining why why any of this stuff is even relevant. And I do fear, and I've heard it today with the swing low debate, that that, um, that there's starting to be a bit of a, oh, all right, you've been going on about it now. Yeah, yeah, we've we've apologised. And, you know, that statue came down. God, it's all done. Stop talking about it. You've had enough. There's going to be a pushback, um, I, I fear, of people saying that 
that BLM has gone too far and right we've we've apologized now let's let's call it a day but, I mean some of that must also be the way in which it's been in the papers and in the news and um you know, one one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is when we spoke four years ago. Uh, well, I mean, you you've been you were a journalist for quite a long time. I know you're now a counsellor and do a number of other things, but you were a journalist and you, and you were involved in Media Diversified. And you talked to me four years ago about the systematic racism that was inherent in politics and the media. Um, and with you know, sort of looking at how the how the coverage of this has been, it's all about it's statues and they've they're ruining statues. They're raising history, sort of ignoring that the history of those slave traders was erased and that's why we weren't bothered about their statues, you know, but with that sort of conversation, do you feel things have progressed at all since we last spoke or is it, and, and I loved your phrase back then of old, a lot of old white men dancing, which is what I think of a lot of the time. Are we still in that situation with, with politics and media? Um, my God, I'd love to say no, everything's, oh my God, in the last four years, kept in, it's all been amazing. And, and yeah, of course there are, there are individuals that, that break through and, I think uh, Rene Edo Lodge's book is number one on the uh, on the on the UK list, which is the first time that's ever happened. Yeah, and New York Times as well, I think, as well. Which is it's incredible. But but so 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 that's movement. You know, we can talk about we can always talk about individual things that happen, and you know, oh, there's black there's a black football manager of England now, whatever things like that can happen, and we can or, or there's a there's a black president, and we can get sort of swept away in. In progress, but when you actually the things that I always try and take it back to is is the is the systemic stuff. So uh, you know, talk to me about the criminal justice system. Talk to me about health inequalities. Talk to me about income disparity. If all of those things are still the same, you know what? Have as many tall poppies as you want. Have as many Obamas and as many you know Beyonces and 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 and, and, and whatever. And it might look different. You might watch telly and go, oh, it's a black newscaster. Um, but if all the other stuff is still ticking on, uh, for me, the diversity is to get to the equality. The diversity in itself um, is a nice to have. That It's because of what it brings. It's because of what it brings both to the organisation that's diversifying and to those engaging with that organisation. That's why it matters. So, yes, progress, but, you know, um, um, most of the progress is superficial because we allow, we allow it to be. We allow the conversations to become superficial. And is that, I mean, that response probably answers this next question as well, but the, <clears throat> sorry, uh, that response probably answers this next question as well, but the government's response to the Black Lives Matter protests were, we'll have a racial equality commission. And I mean, that came after the, there was the report into how COVID uh, disproportionately affects people, uh, you know, BAME people and uh, with Grenfell's still not been, people still haven't been rehoused. I mean, all these other issues that have happened and, is a racial equality uh, commission remotely the right way forward? Is it enough? Is it your, your listeners won't be able to see this, but <laughs> Maurice's face then was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, look, so so it's it's really tough being being a, a politician. Now. So if, when I when I was just a commentator, uh, I would absolutely slag this off and just say what a load of nonsense as a politician you've got to kind of go okay well there's progress and at least they're trying ah but this this commission um it would be bad enough i think if it was as presented which is okay we're gonna we're gonna go away and look at all this stuff and work out whether there really is racism and find ways of tackling it that would be bad enough because it's happened so many times we've had as you say, the Lamy report, the report into Windrush, Grenfell, Stephen Lawrence, we've had loads and loads and loads of reports and they're all there. And most of the recommendations, I think the last count, 250 of them haven't even been, in, been implemented. So let's, so asking for another one is ridiculous. I actually think it's a bit worse than that, Tin. And I think that uh, just reading the narrative and seeing who's been placed on top of it, I think it's actually, they actually want a report that, that kind of disproves racism. I mean, he said that he wants to change the narrative. He doesn't said he wants to change the injustice. He wants to stop people talking about it. Now, I fear that this report, as well as a delay tactic, is is going to come up with stuff like, "Oh my God, it's not so bad." Look, you know, uh, and they'll, it, it, you know, it depends what questions you ask. If you ask, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, how many black people have got a million pounds, and you go, "Wow, look, there's there's loads of black people with a million quid." And you can paint a picture that goes, see, there's no problem. Let's move away from this debate. I, I kind of fear from the stuff that he said and the person that he's put in charge, 
um, that that's the direction it's going in, which is which is even worse than the legitimate, genuine commission to try and find out this stuff, which would still be pointless because we've done it already. So, so I think we're um, it, it's 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 his response has been pretty appalling. Um, uh, to, to be honest, I think the uh, this is the prime minister I'm talking about. The first thing that really sparked him, as far as I could see, to respond was to defend the statue of Winston Churchill, and then. So it was pointed out that he hadn't really said anything about the the global inequality to to to, to black people, and he sort of came back with some some puff and and whatever. But it's not his topic. It's not something he's that bothered about. He wouldn't have said stuff about watermelons, smiles, and pickaninnies and letterboxes, and you know if he if he cared really about racial equality. That's not his. It's not his bag. And we'll be back with Maurice in a minute. But first. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Track and Trace app is dead. Long live the Track and Trace app. The current Conservative government have got an incredible relationship with spending lots of money on things not happening. I mean, Boris Johnson's record alone includes £53 million on a bridge that was never ever built, 330000 on a water cannon he couldn't use, then there was that cable car no one uses that goes over the only bit of London there's nothing to see on ground level, and then there was £2.1 billion of no-deal prep, including paying a ferry company that had no ferries, and then being sued by ferry companies that got angry that they hadn't been asked. More recently, there's been all the PPE from Turkey that didn't even work, and all I'm saying is I trust a DM from an account made of numbers and flags telling me I can earn millions quick by investing in a device that removes ancient alien farts from water, far more than anything the government was putting millions into and telling me I should be excited about. Johnson's crew is all about the build-up, followed by the crushing disappointment of reality, probably much like Boris Johnson's dating technique. It's like if The Apprentice hired everyone because they all went to the same school or knew their dad. Matt Hancock's beloved and now deaded NHS track and trace app started its life back in what the UK timetable called the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, but the rest of the world called it, oh shit, the virus is everywhere, but Britain is too busy watching horse racing. This was around mid-March, and the health secretary announced that there was huge enthusiasm for this world-beating programme, even though several other countries already had a track and trace app and had therefore won the race already. The idea was that if you had it on your phone and someone that you met had it on their phone, it'd automatically send a little code to them, and then if you got symptoms, you could enter it in yours, and they'd immediately get a message, along with then anyone they'd been in contact with too, and you could all self-isolate until completely germ-free. It was sort of like the old school finding out you have an STI, only this way you've got a tad less shame as it does it for you, and all the people it gets in contact with will be so worried about coronavirus they won't notice the herpes. On May the 5th, the app was launched on the Isle of Wight and about half the island's population downloaded it, but the app only allowed people to say if they had symptoms, not if they'd had a positive test. So contacts would get a message and then have absolutely no idea what to do with it. We don't really know how successful it was on the Isle of Wight otherwise, as well, no one's been updated, but judging by how it was then delayed to June and then till winter and then scrapped, I'd say probably not very well, and I won't be getting the ferry over from Southampton anytime soon. 
What we do know is that the NHSX app had issues from the get-go. For a start, on iPhones, it only detected 4% of other iPhones, whereas on the Apple Google model being used in other countries, it could detect 99% of handsets, because you know what Apple are like about using their own products, the bastards. But that was actually a problem, as the NHSX app tried to work around Android and iPhone restrictions, which didn't really work. Also, while there are always concerns that Google steals your soul, the NHS X app did hold quite a lot of the pseudonyms and details of the people you'd been in contact with, which made quite a lot of people concerned. And on top of all that, it wasn't compatible with any other country's track and trace, which meant as soon as you left the UK, if you were exporting COVID-19, absolutely no one would know. God, I really wish I could do that with booze. Finding out all of this cost roughly... And finding out that none of this worked cost roughly £11 million, though it's not entirely clear just where all that money's gone yet. What is clear is that Matt Hancock insists they were also working on an Apple Google app at the same time, but there's no details of the costs of that, if they actually were, and various Ministry of Health officials have said on record that they definitely weren't. It's also clear that the switch to Google and Apple's model came one day after the former Apple executive Simon Thompson joined the team working on the app run by Baroness Dido Harding. You know, Baroness Dido Harding, formerly head of Talk Talk and the one on the board that allowed the Cheltenham horse races to go ahead, despite the coronavirus being rather rampant at the time. If anything, when the track and trace system was on its way, she was just giving herself an awful lot more work. Harding is also a former jockey, meaning you'd think she'd really understand the importance of not having an also-ran. There's no clue when this new app will be ready, if it'll be ready at all, considering that Apple say they had no clue the UK was making a hybrid version of their contact tool in the first place. The company also said they had no awareness of the issues as to why the government didn't go with their app the first time round, as, ironically, they hadn't been in contact with them. The UK government, unsurprisingly, say it was Apple that were being uncooperative, and either way, with lots of time and more money, it is now going ahead, but there's no clue, if this late in the pandemic, that it'll be worth it anymore or it'll be successful. South Korea's test scheme has been hailed as being very, very brilliant as it worked in line with the COVID tests and sent results directly to phones, which then got in touch with people's contacts. Germany have been using the Google Apple model and it's worked very well for them, with teams of people checking up on anyone who has symptoms. But Norway has had data privacy issues with their app and is having to delete a lot of details gathered by it, and Australia's app had a bug that meant it didn't work on iPhones if they were locked. And of course, all of those countries have health systems have actually been supported by their governments for quite some years and staff that are getting paid properly to work on it. So, we'll have to wait and see. What I do know is that regardless of how this goes, Johnson and Hancock will keep all the contacts of everyone who made a failed useless app and no doubt give them a massive contract to develop something else that is completely pointless later in the year. Still, it does go a long way to placate someone like me who's put a lot of money into a career that hasn't worked out at all, but still not anywhere near as much money as £11 million. And for that, we should be grateful to this shitty government as even if you pissed away your savings or something terrible, they've still made you look like a total money-saving success champion, which in these current times is a confidence boost that I'll take. And now, back to Maurice. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fascinating you say. It's, it's, so, it's sort of almost like, rather than addressing the issue, they're sort of gaslighting that it's an issue to begin with. Uh, I mean, and, and you mentioned because Manira Mertz is going to be in charge and, and she's said that systematic racism isn't a thing, which is um, horrific. But I mean, is it, do you sort of feel, you know, a big thing that this government seems to be just refusing to apologise for anything, refusing to say they've ever done anything wrong. Uh, we've obviously, uh, you know, you've mentioned times that Boris Johnson has made racist statements before, but is this just another one of those, we don't even want to acknowledge there's a problem here we might say that nothing's yeah. wrong and, and you've all been, it's your fault for viewing it incorrectly. It, it, it absolutely is, I'm afraid. I, but, but as well, I, I would sort of, you know, who, who the hell am I to, and this, the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement is incredible. It, it's, um, it's taken my breath away and who the hell am I to have any opinion on how they go about what they're doing. But I, I just think it's really the whole conversation we shouldn't let it get steered into apologies or not apologies because he doesn't want to apologize. But if there's enough noise, then he'll go, right, I apologize. And it will seem like a big thing. And everyone will go, wow, we got him to apologize. And you, then you'll look around and go, oh, but so what, what does that mean? The apology isn't the thing. So, so, uh, um, like I say, I, I kind of keep saying it's, it's, we have to keep our eyes on what are we trying to achieve here? What, what is this about? And it's not, it can't just be, you know those tokenistic things. So whether whether Johnson apologises or not, or um, you know, I, I I don't really care whether he apologises for the stuff he said. Um, um, I kind of like that he doesn't apologise. At least he's going, yeah, that's me. Take me or leave me. Good. All right. I, I know who you are now. Um, if he came and apologised and was mealy mouthed and cried over, you know, pictures of black babies or something, 
that that wouldn't suddenly make everything okay. So um, he can keep his apology, to be honest. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fascinating. Um, I yeah, it, it's interesting though. Like we're sort of saying that some things are changing. We've had a lot of companies kind of step out, and I guess if if the society around the government wants to change, they they're going to find themselves in a position where they they have to or but but you know we, we've seen with the the bame report into covid um how covid affects people it, there's still a lot of systems in how i guess how the society is is run that that needs to change for for racial for racial equality to happen absolutely i mean people are quite rightly pointing to the the impact of covid on on particular communities um uh, what, what surprised me? Oh my God! There's inequality. <laughs> yeah, of course there's inequality. Absolutely. What What do you think people have been talking about for, for, for forevermore? So it's nothing new. It's just made it. It's just made it super stark. It's made it super obvious. And the, the fact that you know um, the government didn't really want to look into disproportionate BAME deaths. It wasn't really their thing. Uh, it was pointed out to them. A bit of a campaign started up. And like, oh yeah, no, we're going to look into it. And then they they tried not to release the report, if you remember, because they were scared, they were worried about how um about the about the protest. They were saying, Oh, people are upset about how how futile black lives are. So let's not tell them what we found out about why black people are dying for COVID. I mean, you, you almost couldn't make that up as as bad bad communications. Um but but um they <sighs> Sorry, I went on a proper rant, and then I, and then I. Lost. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. I was just, I was, I was just sort of asking about the, you know, about the, I don't know that the, you know, saying that that, that I think people are uh, or or with feeling like people may be paying more attention to this, but it is still down to governmental policies for real real equality to happen. And I mean, I mainly was asking because I wanted to lead into the fact that, that you wrote back in 2016 about the i'm bringing up everything from four years ago i'm so sorry okay. Maurice. <laughs> but the um yeah well that's it that's it um but you know you wrote about how uh having the department for international development being uh dismantled or absorbed into the foreign office was a very very bad thing and how actually that links with our country's view of other countries and uh lack of reparations mm-hmm. um that's now happening uh depressingly and how are you still very concerned about it? And and what message do you think that's giving about, well, I mean, about our global outlook, but also about racial equality? Well, yeah, it's, it's you never want to be sort of proved right on, on, on some of these things. Sometimes commentary is about going, look at this thing they're planning. Wouldn't it be awful to try and encourage them not to do it? Um, sadly, with this, it's happened four years on. I, I know... Uh, I know people personally who work for DFID who've done incredible work and, and, and you know helping some of some of the world's poorest and and, and, and uh, most troubled or challenged people and, and and they're distraught. The idea that you can just roll that within foreign within the Foreign Office, which does a very important job, sure, but is about British influence abroad and is about where what are British Britain's interests. How do you you know, how do we get this country to do the thing that we want? That's important, of course. But to tie that to go to say, oh, we see that you've got some people struggling, but we're not going to help you because we want you to do this politically because that would then benefit us. That's too murky. I mean, the, the fact that you've got, the fact that you get um, Tony Blair, David Cameron, uh, Keir Starmer and Jeremy Corbyn all calling it a bad move kind of suggests there's something not too right about it. It's a bribery budget. We've basically replaced for, with, um, foreign aid with a bribery budget. It's a budget to go around the world and I would say bully countries into doing what we want them to do. There's also always that, that thing I feel that when um, departments are kind of uh, consolidated into one big department that less attention will be paid to the areas that need it. Is that? Do you think that's yeah. a, a concern again here? Sadly, yes. Um, um, like I say, it's, it's not—it's not even so much about less concern um, be, being paid, although evidently that's, that would be the case. I mean, the whole point—you know—the whole sort of Tory ethos is small government. So if you can roll, you know, this this annoying diffid thing into the Foreign Office and then reduce the number of staff, although they claim they're not going to, we'll see. I'm pretty certain that they will. Um, 
you know, you end up with you end up with a smaller number of people doing the same job. So of course you're going to do less. But but the, the question is, what what are they what's what are they even trying to do? And 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 now you know their the, their rules have changed. You're not just going around the world looking for people to help. You're looking for opportunities to to um, to take advantage of. I suppose that's what you're that's what you're looking for. It's a very different story. Um, I'd like us to be a better country than that. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, I mean, it also terrifies me it's reading your article in 2016. I remember that it was first pitched by Priti Patel, who was then fired for having, uh, well, un, uh, you know, breaching ministerial contract for uh, having meetings in Israel while on holiday. So, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't bode well, uh, unfortunately. Um, that You know, it'd be a surprise if it did, to be honest. Um, well, let, let, let's, I'll try and, let's finish on some slightly more positive <laughs> questions, hopefully. <laughs> um, hopefully. Um, you're currently uh, the vice, is it vice chair? of race on the agenda i would give you a proper title yeah so and i just wonder if you could tell me a bit about them about that campaign and what's because they've been running some really interesting campaigns during the pandemic um about the disproportionate effect on bane people uh, but also about informal schools exclusions which is not something i was very aware of i just wonder if you could tell me a bit about how uh race on the agenda came about and and what they're doing Yes, so so the um, organisation has been around for for quite a while since since the eighties, since like nineteen eighty four, um, and as as it says on the tin, I guess the 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 idea or the 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 purpose of existing is to keep race on the agenda, and it's, which sounds like a you know why would you want that? It's because so often I, I think as as we're being shown, um, you know, you'll have a conversation about about something that's going to happen or a plan, and race won't get considered at all um and and so therefore those plans end up disproportionately impacting black people you can look at grenfell or any anything along those lines and and it's so often the case that that um because the people making decisions uh, don't have the same experience as the people those decisions impact upon there's a there's a disconnect um and race on the gender is about say about I guess reminding, constantly trying to remind uh, people, you know, we're, we've got these things called equality impact assessments, which are brought into British law and every decision is supposed to have one of these things, you know, um, uh, you're supposed to enact one of these things to make sure that you're not, you know, discriminating against anyone. What a great idea. They're so misused and disused that, that they're, they're almost pointless. And so, so we try to just constantly go, Okay, but have you thought about how this might impact impact on these people? And have you have you thought so? It's basically the the, the point of the organisation is to um, is to is to remind people not to forget about race. And at this time, it's particularly pertinent. Yeah, it's it's sort of something we mentioned earlier. Just with like even the statues debate, there's always something else that comes in the news, and then oh, forget about the thing that happened last week. Um, I mean, and. and well, in fact, I'll get back to race and agenda in a second. But what, you know, what things can we be doing to keep it on the agenda? What things can we be doing to make sure people don't forget? I mean, you know, it's it made me really sad that the the it was the third anniversary of Grenfell the other day, and I was I don't think it had been in the news for a year, maybe it maybe maybe I'd missed it, but it, it didn't feel like it had been prominent since the second anniversary, and we hadn't heard oh. anything since, and and and. You know, constantly things like that, that they aren't brought up until they're, oh, it's a new bit of news that we can present it in this way and now it's gone again. Are there things that we can be doing or should be doing to, and I mean, we as in myself, the listeners, the people in general, should we be? Yeah. It, it's hard, isn't it? Because you're right. And as, as you say, I'm a, I'm a, I still think of myself as a journalist. Things, things the, the news leads, that's how, that's how it works. And, and you, you don't keep just saying the same story and over and over and again every day. Um, and so people do move on and, and and find other things to be interested in. But with, uh, I mean, God, when when you're talking about racial justice or, or racial inequality, there's it, it touches every aspect pretty much of our of our of our lives of our world. Um, whether you whether you acknowledge it or not, it it, it it probably does. So so rather than going, okay, yes, you can protest about police brutality in America as we as we hopefully all should. Um, but if you, I don't know, work in HR, why not think really hard about things that maybe you could be doing better within your role at work? You know, there's probably things that you thought, oh, that's probably not right, but you've never really delved into it because you know it'll, it'll be a bit of a problem if I do. You know, be, yeah. so if you want to know what, what, 
what people individually can do is look at their own lives, look at their own sphere, whatever it might be, and think, okay, how can I do things better here? What are the problems here in my space? Or, or what's the problems in my community? You know, make, make it local. Because um, I think it's, you're always going to move on once you start, once you, if you focus the conversation on someone and something else, somewhere else. If you make it about you and your life and your area, your community, um, then, then, then hopefully it keeps relevant. But, you know, um, like I say, if, if I knew the answer to this, I'd have waved the magic wands and we'd be living in We'd be living in Nirvana and everything would be great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's again something I'd be very aware of is, uh, uh, again, with not just interviewing yourself, but when I was looking at people to interview, just sort of going, it's not really, you know, if 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 black people could have fixed this, they wouldn't, it's not their issue to fix. <laughs> because uh, it's, sort of, it's not the people that are being oppressed that should be kind of fixing the oppression. It's always, uh, you know, but it's, I mean, it's interesting in, in the comedy world, which we're still not good enough at, but the, uh, I mean, well, there isn't a comedy world right now. So I suppose if anything, it's very, uh, it's very fair. No one's got any work at all, but, um, but a lot of people, it's take, taken years, but I'd say in the last four or five years, a lot more promoters are keen to have bills that aren't all white and also bills that aren't all male. And there's been a real, um, I don't know. Uh, I'd love to say a progression. There are areas where it's not, but it's, you've noticed that as soon as a few people started to do it, everyone went, oh, that makes sense. And audiences really react well to it. And people go, oh, actually, I prefer seeing acts that look like me and my friends on stage rather than not. And um, it, But it took a real push at first, and it's still happening. But it's, I, I think like that, like, as you say, it just takes an effort to make an actual change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, nothing's going to be nothing's nothing changes overnight, especially especially not cultural stuff. Uh, you know, I, I we've lived through cultural changes. I, I think we've lived through a cultural change in the attitude to the LGBT community. Mm. I think that that's massively improved in my life, almost to the point where, you know, if I told me thirty years ago, so you know, this is what we'll be living like now, I'd go, no way. There's no way we'll ever be that woke and that whatever but these things happen to the point where now it's almost not a conversation i mean god don't i'm not at all suggesting the homophobia <laughs> doesn't exist anymore of course of course they do but it's not it's no longer um it's so societally frowned upon to have those 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 phobias and those those prejudices that that um it makes the it makes progress much easier hopefully and and i'm and he's going to say i'm pausing and putting caveats in um, I, I hope that, that 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 we do have that sort of moment with race. Like, you know, like I say, I feel like we keep having watersheds. Maybe this will move the dial on. Um, you know, there is no end game. There is no cool. Everything's brilliant now. I mean, I, I don't think. I'm, I'm I'm certainly not expecting to live to see a world where um, everything's sorted out and we have no injustice and, and whatever. But we always work towards that. There's, you know, we're always on that journey towards that. Um, let, Let's cross our fingers and see where we get to this time, I suppose. Oh, God, it'd be incredible, wouldn't it? It would be incredible. It'd be very nice for one of, you know, just an issue to have a happy ending. It feels like the last, especially since the last time I spoke to you, it just feels like end everything. I mean, not not just the, the race issue, but everything I've asked you about. It's like four years ago. Oh, no, still still a problem. Still still going terribly wrong. Um, The the last question, which is something I ask all the, um all, all my guests, really. And, and again, I asked you this four years ago, but... um. For now, who do you recommend that listeners check out, read up on, not just on issues of, of racial equality, but also just for more, well, just diversified commentary, but just good commentary? Who are your favourite writers and journalists and websites? Who do you go to for your info? Yeah. Well, well so sad, you, you, you said not, not on race, but I, I feel like so many of the, 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 the people that I read, most of them are friends, just because I've been around for a long time, but, but, but they are often writing about race, and just because I feel like they do it, um, they equip me better to do my job. So, so if I if I if I read Gary Young or Afwa Hirsch or or or, or, or Rene Edelord or when any of those writers or Carla or oh gosh, you know, if when I when I listen to any of them, I'm then better equipped to to do to do the stuff that I need to do. So, so of course I I enjoy all that. Um, I have to be honest. I, I I was reading loads, and I've just it's massively stopped since COVID. I've just been <laughs> working twenty four seven. Um, so um, I've, you know, I've read the new Jim Crow and I've read um, uh, um, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. I quite enjoyed that. That's quite a good uh, breakdown of, of how we, how we uh, communicate with people who aren't us. That was useful. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I, I'd, I'd like people to tell me what to, to go and read. I'd like to sort of find time to, to go and do that, to be honest. 
Cool. Well, and, and if any listeners get any good ideas, I'll forward them on. That's that's a plan. Thank you so much to Maurice for that. You can find him on Twitter at MoWords and Race on the Agenda can be found at rota.org.uk or on Twitter at Race on the Agenda. Also, I didn't speak to Maurice about his role as a councillor, but he is also a Labour councillor in Battersea. So if you live around there, do make sure you keep voting him in as he's definitely one of those good politicians you're occasionally lucky to find. I've contacted an absolute shed load of people to speak to for future episodes and had barely any responses at all lately. Um, so please do help and give me at least some vague ideas of areas I haven't mentioned on the podcast before or for a long time and who to talk to them about. What do you need to hear about or more about right now? I mean, not right now. I'm still recording this. Uh, I mean, right now is in the future when it'll be right now when it's then. Oh, this is really confusing. I'm so full of snot. Anyway, just let me know by uh, the usuals of at Parpolbro on the Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me on partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or like Robert Jenrick, you could just try to sit next to me at a posh dinner and show me a video of a proposed interviewee development and I can just happen to sit next to you and see it, breaching the podcaster's code, which I don't think is anything that exists. But this would require A, people being allowed to sit next to each other again and B, me being at a posh dinner, which never ever happened pre-lockdown anyway. So as always probably just best to email isn't it Uh, I've made I've made it to the end that's all that's all for this week's partly political broadcast podcast and as you total champs of the people have made it all the way to the finish much like my nose has um, it is time for your audio trophy of a hot pop pop bro polgos fact yeah this week as the government has spent 11 million pounds on not making an app do you know what the biggest waste of government money was no it's not surprisingly all of Brexit I mean it should be but that's not that's a real one it probably really is it's not actually that funny it's planning to do something silly just for the sake of our sanity nor is it Chris Grayling man to waste 2.7 billion pounds across all his fuck-ups, including HS2 cock-ups, privatising the probation sector and hiring that ferry firm that had no ferries. Grading is like an ambassador for disaster or the exact opposite of King Midas. No, it was Henry Harding or Hardinge, I don't know, the first Viscount Hardinge or Harding and Secretary of War in Robert Peel's cabinet 1841 to 1845, who, knowing the Bank Charter Act was coming in in 1844, decided to sell a whole ton of currency that he had in a pot at higher than gold standard rates but on all notation he made whatever it was called when people did typos but you know with a pen and so he sent one of his staff to exchange it at higher than old standard and instead of becoming a millionaire he got the equivalent of two old men three old women a really ancient tortoise and a 400 year old tree i am of course making this up it's actually still brexit still brexit or the handling of this pandemic by the uk government or all of it together in a giant money spunking fuckstorm of horror oh well hot pop homo gosfract yeah fun and lols if you enjoyed that or more likely thought, why didn't I pick something better to say? Then why not encourage other people to listen to this show so the numbers will get so high I'd be too embarrassed to make up such a shit fact? Why not also giz us a pound or three at the Kofi or Patreon accounts and maybe even do a nice five-star wordy review on any of them podcast apps that allow it? Big chunky tar very much is to Acast, my brother last sceptic, Cat Day and Mushy Bees. This will be back next week when it's discovered that Matt Hancock gave his cousin's friend's dad £3 million just to develop a virtual reality system that will allow him to be at work when he's not. But the project collapses as A, it doesn't work and it's discovered his boss has been doing that without any technology at all. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Matt Hancock's App Station. Do you want an app that will tell you where no one's been, what no one's up to and what none of the things to do are? Maybe your life is too busy and you take in too much information. In which case, download Matt Hancock's new app. Just 99p to get a square that you can press again and again. It does absolutely nothing. Except send all your health details to 15 different companies with each press. But you did say that was fine. It was in the small print. No, the really small print that was on a different page with a different screen. So it's all legal, mate. It's all legal. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.